Your last day of vacation and you found time for a deep tissue massage followed by a long mud bath then a two-hour nap. Because you're an American Express Platinum Guard member and booked your stay at a fine hotel and resort through Amex Travel, which means a 4 p.m. checkout. And those relaxing vacation vibes can keep going at the airport in the Centurion Lounge. Just a splash. Before you board the plane back to reality. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your travel experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your Cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code WONDERY to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Welcome to the Nerds Podcast number 446. This week, it's happening. I am coming and doing stand-up comedy in Minneapolis and Chicago on the 6th uh, and 7th, respectively, of December, and then the 13th of December uh, in Seattle with adorable tiny Matt Myra, who's shed so many pounds. Yeah, he looks great. He's just, he's so adorable. So you should come see him in person and hug him in person. Uh, You can get your arms around him now. He looks good. He looks fucking great. So uh, Matt Meyer and I will be uh, toddling around the country for three dates. Go to Nerdist.com slash calendar to uh, to get info on that. Also, at midnight, we'll be returning January 6th to Comedy Central, and then we will be on all next year, Monday through Thursday, following Colbert at midnight. It's in the title. I'm trying to make it easy for you. <laughs> so follow the at midnight account. We still, uh, we still play games and stuff on there. The, the account is still very much active during the hiatus as we uh, as we are, are writing the next handful of, of shows but uh, super excited to be back and thank you so much if you watch the show it's, it has been a dream job and I look forward to doing it every day for as long as they will let me um, this episode is brought to you by stamps.com okay it's there are a lot of things about the holidays that are not fun they, you should try to enjoy the holidays and your family as much as you possibly can but I know that having to go to the post office is not one of those times where you feel like, yay, I get to do this. Um, just do everything with stamps.com. Print out the exact postage you need from the printer that you have, and then just let your mail carrier come and pick it up. They'll do that. That's part of their job. They'll do that, and you should thank them. And also, give them a Christmas present. Even if it's like 5 or 10 bucks or something, a gift certificate, reward your mail carrier. How would you survive without getting mail every day? You'd survive. Okay, you, let's, you'd survive. <laughs> But it would be a slightly less interesting existence if you felt like people weren't sending you. Then it'd be really inconvenient. So stamps.com, since we're talking about convenience, will make all of your sending super convenient. Right now, as always, there is a special offer when you use the promo code NERDIST. It's a no-risk trial, $110 bonus offer, which includes a digital scale and for $55 of free postage. Don't wait. Go to stamps.com before you do anything else. Click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in NERDIST. That is stamps.com. Enter the promo code NERDIST. I'm very excited about this return guest, Katie Levine. Yeah. Uh, Chris Jericho is a fucking delight. I love this guy. He's fantastic. So many wrestlers that I've become friends with are awesome dorks who just <laughs> have these titan bodies. <laughs> but, you know, CM Punk is awesome, and Jericho's awesome, and Mick Foley was awesome, and, you know, like a bunch of other guys that I tweet back and forth with online are super awesome, and so. So we had that kind of awkward episode with Marilyn Manson on Talking Dead. Mm -hmm. And I was like, shit, if the next episode is also kind of weird, people are going to start dropping out. They'll take one weird episode. They'll go, okay, that one's a little weird. But if you do it like two or three times in a row, then people are like, I'm out. And they pull the ripcord. And then you lose them. Um, And so the last time we had any, the last time we had kind of a weird episode, the next one was a professional wrestler, CM Punk, and a community cast member. Yvette Nicole Brown. Mm-hmm. So we had the Marilyn Manson episode. The next episode after that, a professional wrestler, Chris Jericho, and a community cast member, Gillian Jacobs. <laughs> and and they were so fantastic that I feel like they helped save the show. So Chris Jericho, uh, I'm so glad that I've become friends with this guy. He has a new web series called But I'm Chris Jericho, 
which is at butimchrisjericho.com. And uh, and I, I just I just love chatting with a guy. Like he's just a he's a guy that I feel like I will be friends with for a long time, just like punk. So um, I'm very thankful to have had this podcast. Uh, you know, for many reasons, but also mainly for a lot of the new friendships that I made. So here we go. The Nerdist Podcast number 446 with Chris Jericho. Important spoiler side note. Uh, we got off on a tangent about Breaking Bad and Dexter finales. So if you haven't seen either one of those, ye hath been forewarned. Now entering Nerdist.com. Congratulations on your uh, other new show. Oh, thanks. That's pretty cool. Yeah, that's this one here. Yeah. It's really fun. Yeah, what is it, like a game show type thing? It's or? like a fake game show. So comics come on and we basically pull shit from social media and then make fun of it. The game show is just sort of a structure to, to, to shit on things. <laughs> <laughs> and, we, and then I sort of award these points to these arbitrary points to people. Okay. So it's it's pretty fun. It's, That's cool. It's actually really fun. How long have you started uh, filming that? It's been two weeks. Okay. So, so we shoot every we shoot every day at like 4.45 and then it goes on that night. Oh, so cool. It's pretty... It's almost like a live thing too then. Live it is. Day. It's almost live. We almost did the show live. Mm. And then we realized like... You know, let's not do that. And I'm glad we didn't. Just in case, yeah. We just, you know, we wanted to have some room to trim out some of the, right. you know. Especially when you got comedians and improv and some jokes you work. You don't and know some what's going to... Yeah, and there have already been a couple where the comics have said stuff and we're like, <laughs> just comics being comics. Yeah, you know? yeah ex- uh, comics on TV. Yeah, exactly. You wouldn't, on live TV, you'd have to be like, ah, <laughs> Well, you know that, man. You know how that goes on live. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. You're the uh, it, wrestling's live, isn't it? Uh, one of the shows, Raw, is live. So same type of thing. Sometimes you know, like the change as you go. Or I was there was one time we were doing something where, like, it went on before you knew, right? So <laughs> yeah. okay, I'm gonna do this, and then I'll go ah or whatever, and then you realize it's like, and then you look over and somebody's like, you're like, <laughs> don't ever do that again, you know, or whatever. It's like yeah, it happens. There was a famous time, uh, like on Saturday Night Main Event, it was like the famous wrestling thing in the 80s, when Macho Man Savage, something happened where Elizabeth got hurt. And she was in the back room, and Hogan was like, to come back from her getting hurt, he's distraught, like, oh, Elizabeth, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. And so they come back, and he's like, okay, so I'm going to cry. And I'll go like, uh, no, I'll go like, ah. And this is all on the air, like on NBC. I'm watching as a kid. Like, oh, shit. And then he's like, tell me when we're on, brother. Tell me when we're on. And then he's like, ah. <laughs> Someone's obviously going. <laughs> well, this was, I, I remember those days of being a kid and, and watching it. And, uh, you know, my friends and I would have the arguments about it, like, What's well, not? It's yeah. not real. It is too, man. Fuck you. It's real. You know, it's like the, those arguments. But I feel like now, you know, enough of the yeah, people understand how things work. The fourth walls are down, and sure, you sure, know, exactly. So they feel more open about it. But I feel like that's a period of time where were, were wrestlers back then sort of was there sort of a, a code of like don't say to the press that it's well. Not- let, let me break the fourth my own fourth wall. Are we actually on right now? Yeah. Oh, there you go. See, I didn't even know. We didn't have like, you know, hi, this is the Nerdist with Chris Harwick. So hi, it's the Nerdist with Chris Harwick. I was Nerdist. almost pulling a Hogan on that time. <laughs> did you pull a Hogan? I did. I'm like, are we on, brother? Are we on, brother? Tell me we're on. Uh, what happened? Um, I think what happened was, because I remember that back in the 80s too, when you'd see like, um, you know, you kind of might have thought that it wasn't real, right. but you kind of did. And I remember a few times you would actually see, I remember one time I was watching some match where uh, a guy said, I'm going to suplex you from the top rope. And just happened to say it right in the corner. Oh. And then went and did that. And I was like, oh, you see, we saw him talk. We saw him talk. But you still never knew for sure. Right. You know, I remember um, I went and, and there was these guys called the uh, Wild Samoans. And I used to go hang out at the hotel in Winnipeg um, where I grew up. And wait for the wrestlers to, 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 to come so I could try and get their autographs. Right. 
and there was these guys and they never spoke English like they ate fish <laughs> on the show and like you know the, the, the manager's like they are killers they do Mr. Fuji they are very strong they don't even speak English they are barbarian or whatever and the guys would be like honga 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 so I saw the Samoans his name was Sika the wild Samoan and I thought oh I gotta get Sika's autograph but how am I gonna Tell him, like, how in big English does he even know how to use a pen? Like, how how much of a savage (laughs) is this guy? So I walked over to him, and I'm like, uh, you know, I got the pen there, and I'm like, you know, pointing at the pen with like, Sika, you sign paper. You know, it's not like Tonto or so, you sign paper, please. And uh, I'm like, please, you sign. He looks at me. I go, sign, Sika, sign. He goes, fuck off, kid. Oh! And I was like, I didn't care that he told me to fuck off. I was just Shattered. so excited and no, excited. Like, excited. he spoke English. <laughs> he spoke English. And I looked around and none of my friends were around. Oh. So it was like seeing the Loch Ness Monster pop its head up and go, what's up? And then go down like, yeah, did you Somehow see that? they managed to teach this savage <laughs> perfect, perfect expletive cur- English. Curse words, right. <laughs> so, but that's, well, that's the first ones they're going to learn. Yeah, always. Of course. Yeah, right. You go to foreign <laughs> languages, it's always the swears you learn first. But yeah, and then, and then kind of started figuring it out. But I remember when I first started, my first experience with, with wrestling was, um, I went as a ring part of the ring crew growing up in Winnipeg they would do these tours of the northern Indian reservations mm-hmm. in northern Manitoba and I was on as the ring crew so I would travel with some of the guys and there was a bunch of like I look back now they're all fat and small and <laughs> like you know really low level guys but to me it was like I was on tour with wrestling like, ah. And I remember I asked, we went to Riverton, California, or sorry, Riverton, uh, Manitoba, and I invited this girl that I had a fancy for, I had a hankering for, mm-hmm. to come to the show. Like, come see my show. I'm, I'm setting up the ring tonight, you know, like back when that was like the cool thing. And so uh, the first bump that the guy took, the ring broke because it was a really shitty ring, and the whole iron cage underneath kind of fell down. So I had to spend the entire show on my back with my legs up, holding the boards up so that the ring wouldn't break. And I remember the girl watching for a bit and then kind of seeing me under the ring and it's kind of like, like this guy's a loser and leaving. <laughs> but, but there was a guy on that tour called Catfish Charlie. And he was this big black guy and kind of did like a, like a catfish gimmick, like a fisherman Cajun guy or whatever. And he ended up being my roommate. And uh, he was the one who explained to me the secrets of the wrestling world and how, you know, when you won a match you really weren't winning because, you know, the promoter was telling you. And I kind of like, it wasn't too, and this, you got to remember, this is 1989. So there was no internet. There was no, there was no way of really knowing. <laughs> he was blowing your mind. He, he was blowing my mind. It's like, it's like when, you're, when your parents sit you down when you're 12 and go, right. listen, the Santa Claus thing, it's all bullshit. Yeah. You know, the ultimate lie. So I, I kind of got that. But then he's, and then, and then but I was like, okay, fine. So when you, when you have a normal match, you, someone tells you to win. But when you win a championship, that's really you, right? Like, you're really winning the championship. And he's like, no. <laughs> Wait, what? Yeah, Wait, you what? And I was like, and I was literally like, what? You mean like when Hulk Hogan won the championship, he really didn't win? No, the promoter told him to. And that was the bitter pill to swallow. It took me a couple hours of like, I need some alone time to like really like, <laughs> like, holy shit, how did they fool me? I felt like the biggest loser. Like, how did they get me? But then that's when I started figuring out like, oh, this is all really show business and then kind of move forward from there. Yeah, it didn't really affect whether or not people watched wrestling. I mean, no. people, everyone knows now, well, but they still watch the shit out sure, of it. Sure, so, you know, because it's just a show. You know what I mean? It's like when we go watch World War Z or watch the Walking Dead. Yeah. You know it's not real. Right. But it doesn't matter. When you know, when it comes on at you know seven o'clock at night, you get in that world, you're watching, oh my gosh, you know, we were talking this week on Talking Dead. Rick banished Carol and yeah. what's she gonna do? And was it right? Was it wrong? I mean, we spent a whole hour talking about these fictional people. It is weird that I get paid to do that. I don't still haven't really figured out how, how, that how did works you get out. that job? I don't know. That's right. That's it's right. Weird. It's very weird. But it's entertainment. It's all just part of entertainment. Well, exactly. And that's the thing with wrestling. You know, you could I remember there was a guy called Nick Bockwinkle that said I could go in the ring and tell everybody that wrestling isn't real for 30 minutes and then have a 20 minute match and at the end of it everyone's going to call me a liar. Right. Cuz people are putting it aside. They're going there to be entertained like they do when they go to watch a movie or, or whatever it may be and get involved with the characters and the storylines that are involved with it. You were a great guest on Talking Dead, by the way. You know, it's, a, it's always funny. Like, we'll have an episode that feels, a, you know, like, we haven't really had that many episodes of Talking Dead that I feel like, ah, oh, I don't know, we didn't connect or it didn't, you know. Uh-huh. 
But we've had a couple awkward episodes, and almost always, well, always, the two times, uh, it was followed up by a wrestler, the last time CM Punk, and a cast member from Community, last time we met Nicole <laughs> Brown. And so then the Marilyn Manson episode happened, and everyone was like, it was on Stern for three days, and everyone was like, what happened to Marilyn Manson? Rah, rah, rah. And I was like, everything's going to be fine, because next week we got a wrestler and a community <laughs> cast member. We got Chris Jericho, and we got, um, uh, and then we have Gillian Jacobs. And, and I already knew you were going to be great, because you were great the last time you came on the podcast. Yeah. So I, w- I felt it was, su- you know, there was something to the, the sort of weird um, kind of... Uh, energy that the Marilyn Manson episode brought but the funny thing about it is as much as people complained about it it's an episode they will always remember well yeah you've probably heard more about that episode than you have any other yeah exactly and that's you know everybody has to have their magical mystery tour yeah you know everybody needs to have their kind of bomb episode but the thing that's funny and this this blew my mind Chris is that I've, I've been watching Walking Dead since since the first episode I've always been a I wasn't a fan of the comic books but I was a fan of zombies like since I was young and real in-depth zombies, like, you know, Lucio Fulci, oh, Italian wow. type, type, you know, those type of zombies too. But So I loved the show, watched the show, and I knew what Talking Dead was. And obviously, you're, you're my bud, so I'd always see you come in, you know, do the cut-ins. But I never checked it out. Like, I just, you know, I have other stuff going on and, and didn't really watch. I loved the concept. But when you announced that I was going to be on the show at the end of the Manson one, I guess... I have never had that type of response for anything I've done. <laughs> Coming back to the WWE, maybe, but you know, to, <laughs> Tonight Show, whatever. This for the Talking Dead, and, to, and today even, still getting text after text after text after text. You, know, you see the like the, the you know at AMC Walking Dead or Talking yeah. Dead, and it's just like that's all I'm seeing. You can't even read them all because there's too many. People love this show, and obviously, tons of people are watching it. And I was telling these guys before, I got. Not even tweets, but texts from random people that I don't hear from, you know, very often. Like Phil Collin from Def Leppard, you're the best guest on Talking what? Dead ever. And I was like, thanks, Phil Collin from Def Leppard. Holy shit! Yeah, Charlie Benanti from Anthrax. Like all these, uh, you know, all these people <laughs> that are my buds. But you know, I talk to him from time to time. But like Phil Collin, I haven't talked to him in six months, and I don't know where. Great job on Talking Dead. Holy shit! So I mean, there's the, everybody is watching this show. Well, and now I'm going to be watching it every week too because the discussions and the dissertations that you have about the, 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 the episode it was, it was amazing it was well it, re- it really helps I, I think you know people just get cranky if they feel like that the person on because they're really trading their time to watch the sure, show sure and they're very invested in Walking Dead and it is just a television show and our show is just a television show it's supposed to be entertainment but you do get emotionally wrapped up in it so when people I think people watch our show to sort of feel like a little bit of come down a little bit of like you know water cooler discussion so they can kind of go back into their lives mm-hmm. and kind of wrap up some of the open loops that the episode left in their head and uh, and so when someone comes on and and doesn't really provide that for them they bums them out yeah <laughs> so when you when you came on like literally every tweet was best guest ever Jericho you should host the show oh my god and I was like fuck man you, you saw some things in the episode that I didn't you know, your whole thing about, like, this whole episode was about everyone letting go. It's like, oh, my God. Oh, yeah, it yeah. It really was. But I, I kind of thought that, like, you know, that show is so specific with everything they do. I thought, I thought that was almost obvious, and I kind of felt stupid, like, pointing it out. But it seemed like I kind of did catch that when a lot of other people didn't. But it was too obvious to me to not have the writers have made that there for a reason. Right. You know, so here we are doing Talking Dead. Talking, after talking, talking, dead. talking, talking yeah. dead. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I mean, that, that's one cool thing about a lot of the shows that are on TV nowadays. I mean, it's getting to the point where there were, there was too many uh, blasting me in the face at once because I love Walking Dead. I love Sons of Anarchy. I loved Dexter. And I love Breaking Bad. And I also loved American Horror, but that one kind of dropped out of sight because I was spending too much time with the other ones. And I can't watch two or three shows at once. I have to watch one. <laughs> That's all the and room, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Cause I need like Breaking Bad was another show that you had to process it. Yeah. You couldn't just like swing from one to another like Tarzan on a vine because there's too much stuff on this on this show to think about for the next week. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, an American Horror Story, I've been watching the third season. Coven. I've been watching Coven and it's it's um you know, it, it's not as... Like, I thought last season was great. Okay. Except for there was one storyline. I mean, I, well, you know what? Fuck it. I'll sort of spoil it because if people uh, haven't watched season yeah, two by Shame now, on you. Yeah, yeah, it's your fault. Um, but there was this whole alien storyline that I was like, well, you don't really need any of that. <laughs> and, and I was... I was I, and I loved the show. I thought the performances were great. I thought the vibe was creepy. 
I loved everything about it. I did feel at the end of last season like, oh man, they set up all this stuff and then they didn't pay any of it. They paid almost yeah. none of it off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, which I think is just something that, you know, like when writers are crafting stories, it's like it's really exciting. Like, oh, and then this weird thing happens and then the audience goes, yeah, okay, mm-hmm. I'm with you. And then they sort of just, then they just kind of let it go and go, use your imagination to decide what happened. Like, no, you don't get to do that. Yeah, that's, that's why I love the Breaking Bad finale so much. But Coven this season is, uh, American Horror Story this season is, um, it's just not, I mean, as, as much as, you know, I love Sarah Paulson and Jessica Lange is amazing to watch. Amazing. I mean, you can't amazing. fucking take she's, your eyes off amazing, her. amazing, yeah. And Angela Bassett's really great, too. But it's just, the show is 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 a little sillier. This It's gone a little more mm-hmm. true blood than, like, the sort of dark gothic. Well, it, it's tough for them, too, though, because they're trying to kind of link it together, but they're three completely separate seasons, right? Yeah. Three separate worlds, but with the same, same characters. Same people, which is a really that's cool idea. the same idea. people playing different characters. Yeah. Very cool idea. But I think that's that's one of the problems I had with, with season two was I knew I was hip to what was going on, but I almost really loved season one so much. I almost wanted to see, like, continuing on in that universe, but, but they went to a, a separate universe, which is fine. But something that you said earlier, I just was wanted to see what you Do thought. It. Yeah, go ahead. You said about... Uh, how um, Breaking Bad didn't leave anything to the imagination. And how do you mean the, the finale? I think you said. Well, I mean he he basically wrapped up every storyline. Gotcha. Yeah. He wrapped up every single storyline, every open loop in the story. Mm-hmm. He wrapped up. Yeah. You, yeah, which is great. So it, 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 I feel like that is a to be able to do that in a in in a very. Uh, Craft craftsmany way, which craftsmithy, which which he did, I think is a is a gift to your fans because when you're watching a show and you get invested, you obviously throughout the life of a show, a bunch of questions pop up in your head, and I think for, in most cases you deserve answers to mm-hmm. those because you're, you're invested. You're invested, and yeah. it's also. I think just even a trick of our brain. Like there are some shows that still weirdly in the middle of the night, I'm like, fuck, <laughs> I never. Yeah, I never like saw that. Deadwood, yeah. you know, like yeah. I still yeah, yeah, just yeah. don't. I just don't. Lost. Yeah, there's Lost. One, there's one piece of it, there's one piece in my brain for of just that. Just as a human being, my brain interprets uh, interprets it as a real experience. That though that those things just didn't get wrapped up. Yeah, I'm like, yeah. Ah, See, just, but I'm the same way though. Like I, all I ask for when I watch a show is, and obviously you and I are, are intelligent guys. Maybe not in in in, in book smarts, but when it comes <laughs> to street smarts and pop culture and stuff. All I ask is just give me something that I can believe. I know it's not possible, a lot of things, but just don't insult me with major plot holes or things that are so implausible that I can't even buy it. Right. You know, and that's that's what I loved about Breaking Bad that ended at about the same time as Dexter did. Yeah. Now, I was a huge Dexter fan, but I think Dexter was the tale of two shows. It was either the show that was one of the coolest, most revolutionary uh, shocking pieces of, 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 of you know film that we'd seen, and the other show was this completely horrible plot-filled piece of shit that nothing made sense, and they didn't even care. It was like you know why Jason Voorhees came back in in Friday Thirteenth Part Four? Well, because we needed to make another movie. Like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. they didn't, even, didn't even try and give me a reason, you know. And I think the the, the the finale of Dexter was an abomination because it was so awful, and I'm wondering. Did they sit down, like, did Vince Gilligan sit down and plot out the entire last season, skeleton-wise, from beginning to end, and know that the last scene of Breaking Bad was going to be Walter White dead with the cops coming in and all this story? Or was he writing it as he went along? Um, I think it was a little of both. I think he knew where they wanted to Mm -hmm. go with it. I I think he had said that he knew that he wanted it to end that way, but obviously... You know, just the 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 roads that they took to get there. I think they did figure out mm-hmm. along the way. But I mean, it's it's really hard to introduce. I mean, the, the reason that Vince is so amazing is that a lot of shows will introduce some crazy thing or some crazy idea or something really shocking. But you see the real uh, you see the real artistry behind a show if they can seamlessly justify getting to that yeah. place. And a lot of shows don't do that. They'll just do something crazy and but then either tell you can't why. justify it or they don't. It's all in the it's all in the visual storytelling. Right. It's all in the storytelling and, and most of them just can't. I hate can't that like you a Dexter for now. I don't know if were you a Dexter I, fan. I was up you know, I was up until um, uh, I was uh, I thought the John Lithgow season. Well, that was, was that was the one. Amazing. 
That's and the then crown jewel. I sort of fell off the Dexter wagon a little bit yeah. after that. Just like you, like, oh, I got caught up watching other things. And, oh, I'll catch up and I'll catch up. Uh-huh. But um, so I did not see the Dexter finale, but um, I, well, I heard for that. For anybody who did, I mean, basically, there's a big storm a coming. His sister dies for a really lame, like, you know, medical reason. Like, she had a heart attack or something. Like, really? On Dexter? She's having a <laughs> fucking heart attack? Like, that's the worst death ever. So he walks out of the front of the hospital with his dead sister in his arms and takes her across the street into his boat and drives into the hurricane. Now, this is a hospital. Yes, there's a hurricane coming and people run around, but you can't just walk out of a hospital with a dead body <laughs> cradling her like he's carrying her across the threshold. And then he puts her in his boat and they drive into to the eye of the storm, eye of the hurricane. And the idea is he throws his sister into the ocean, uh, giving her her final rest. Yeah. And then drives into the eye of the hurricane, like, you know, you know, Spartacus, he's going to take me. Yeah. Fine. Okay. Whatever. Not great, but I can, you know, I can dig it. End of the show comes. There's pieces of the boat floating in the ocean and there's wood floating in the ocean and you know the, 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 the forensic medicine guy forensic doctor dead in hurricane whatever and then oh where are we now oh we're in a lumberjack camp and here's Dexter with a really bad lumberjack beard sawing wood and then going into his wooden cabin obviously off work so he swam from Miami to, <laughs> to fucking to Seattle Canada. or Portland or BC or whatever. Like how? Like like how can you even? These are a team of of writers. Well, that you'd are, have to let's see. You'd have to swim south and then go through. The, yeah. You'd have to swim over the Panama Canal and then, and then there's border crossings and stuff. Like how, how did you have a pass? Like what do you do with this? And I was thinking, like, how? How did you have? A, you like that one? How do you get a group of a team of writers who have? crafted some of the coolest stories and that's what they come up with wow i think i think a lot of it probably has to do with um you know one of the other one of the things about breaking bad is that it was only five seasons and so no one had a chance yet to get fatigued Mm -hmm. and i think you know when uh and also um Vince controlled that show from start to finish. Right. And I and I think Dexter might have been one of those shows where it shuffled different hands showrunners. a couple times. Yeah, you're right. You're and right. So it's sort of like they have different ideas, but they have to clean up mm. whatever mm. happened before. And and you know, I think seven seasons is a long time yeah. for for a show. It's very hard because especially in a show like Breaking Bad or Dexter, where it, the premise in and of itself is already insane. Flawed, yeah. It's already insane. Right. It, and so every season you have to create whatever the worst thing in the world is for that character, and then you have to come back in season two and start over, and then elevate it again. I don't know how you keep doing that yeah, for six, seven hard. seasons. Five is a really good number, because it just, you yeah. know, at a certain point, you as the audience member start going, what the fuck else can right, happen exactly. to these people? I mean, you know, like, especially, they, like, especially like in Dexter's case, when you know his sister finds out he's the killer, and this right. guy finds out he's the killer, and that guy knows he's the killer, and this ex-girlfriend. Like, there's just too many people... Like once one person finds out you're a serial killer, you're pretty much screwed, you know. But well, in this case, there was four or five or six, and you start saying that there's too many balls up in the air to keep this rolling. If it were me, what I would have done is, and maybe this is a really obvious way to go, but I would have come up with something that would have suggested that actually Deb was fucked up mm-hmm. and had been doing shit the whole time behind the oh, scenes. That's cool, and that she ended up hunting Dexter. Yeah. And basically taking the throne. That's what that's what I thought would have been cool because you look at like like Breaking Bad took no prisoners. I mean when when uh, when Hank got shot this year, that was the craziest moment of the whole series for me. And we talked about oh yeah that that quote when he said you know he said Walter you are so smart, but How you didn't you even know? know that they'd made up their mind about this ten minutes ago. Yeah, and boom, and it was like oh my gosh. But Dexter never did that. They never killed Deborah. They had her wounded and then died from a heart attack. I mean, that's why I love Walking Dead because even Sons of Anarchy's done it. You just never know who's going to buy it. Yeah. I mean, obviously Rick's not going to die and Jax isn't going to die and Dexter wasn't going to die, but anybody else was kind of fair game. Right. But they weren't on Dexter, and that's what you once once the show with the serial killer is afraid to take those type of chances, it stopped working as a show for me. Yeah. Yeah. But there's a lot of uh, there's still a lot of good television out there to watch. Yeah. So it's so that's why you know I sort of I feel like oh you know I felt I might have fallen off the Dexter train a little bit, but then that's when I hopped over onto the Game of Thrones train. Yeah. You know, like yeah, it yeah, all yeah. just so the Boardwalk Empire. Yeah. Came, the... Boardwalk, I fell off after the first season. I loved it, 
And I know it got I know it got more intense. I just wanted to see Nucky be more of a gangster and less of a politician. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm sure sh- I'm, I'm sure that that happened. I know that that happened. But like you said, sometimes you just lose track. You know, it's hard to kind of fall. I remember I did that with uh, X Files and with Nip Tuck. Like you said it best when you get to season in Seinfeld was like this too. Season three, four, and five of those shows are always the best because that's who they really figure out who they are. Yeah. And then it kind of sticks around a little bit longer. And Nip and Tuck got horrible at the end, as did X-Files, especially when Mulder left. It's like, why even have the show anymore when, when your main guy <laughs> is gone? You can't replace a guy like that. It's like having James Spader replace uh, Steve Carell in The Office. Right. You just can't do it. There's no reason to do it, you know? But um, I, I think the, the three, four, and five seasons of every season, I bet you if we had a list of all the shows that we liked from when we were kids to now that time frame would be their best work. Well, now, this is, this is sort of an interesting way to kind of dovetail into, into wrestling, which is when, you know, when you've been in the game for a really long time, how do you keep coming up? Like, how do you keep coming up with the storylines to keep yeah. people invested? And when do you, oh, you know, I'll kind of lay low for a handful of months and then make a comeback or I'll do this? See, well, you can't really do that. that that's the thing. I mean, it's such, a, it's such a hamster wheel. You know, you're on TV 52 weeks a year, sometimes twice a week, over and over and over and over again. There's never an off season. And the only time you're really off is when you get hurt. I was fortunate that I never got hurt. So what I used to do is I would always change my costume, change the color, change the style, change my hairstyle, change my look, facial hair, jackets that I wore to the ring, all that stuff. Try and, I always like, uh, it's going to sound funny, but I always kind of considered myself to be the Madonna of wrestling <laughs> in that funny right but you know what I'm saying yeah she always reinvented herself right but still stayed true to who she was as a performer but you know you got the Madonna you know hooker look and you got the Madonna Che Guevara look and you got the Madonna the virgin look the, virgin look, the, the Vogue look, Vogue look the, yeah. the the the, the, M, uh, the uh, you know uh, electric dance the EDM look or whatever it may be and for me what I did was I also if I started getting mentally burned out I would just leave, which was frowned upon, especially the first time I left in 2005. This is, one of, this is a segue worthy of Gene Simmons when you hear it. I left in 2005 um, because I was just really mentally burned out. And if you're not mentally into something, anything, but especially wrestling, if you're not mentally 1,000% there, you're going to get hurt or you're going to hurt somebody else because it's too physical of a, of a type of uh, form of, of, of entertainment or form of, of occupation. You need to pay attention. You gotta pay attention. You gotta be a step ahead. And that goes for putting together, it's like writing a show. I write, I'm writing the matches that I'm doing and I have a lot of input into the angles that I'm doing. And when I just stopped caring, my work started to go down, my attitude started to go down. It's like, I need time to leave. So my contract ended, I told Vince, I'm leaving. Well, when are you coming back? I don't know. Are you ever coming back? I don't know. So what I did to, uh, is uh, I came out to LA to start studying acting and start breaking into this world out here. But when I got out here, uh, I figured out pretty early on that just because I was Chris Jericho, internationally acclaimed, world-famous wrestling superstar, a lot of people out in this town didn't really care, didn't really know. (laughs) So I would go in for auditions with like 10 other guys dressed just like me, looking just like me, to read the one line from, you know, CSI Sheboygan, boy, this water is sure is cold. <laughs> that was a you. great episode. Though. Yeah, that was really yeah. a great episode. Yeah, exactly. Thank you, next. And I'd be like, that's it? Like, but I'm Chris Jericho. Only get one chance? So I started to uh, come up with this idea, like, what, what if Jericho got blackballed from wrestling and had no other recourse but to start over again in acting? He's lost everything. He's got nowhere to go, so you have to go into acting. But... A lot of people don't care. They might know you from wrestling, but you got to start at the bottom of the barrel and work your way up. So I, I crafted kind of like this show that I wanted to be like a Christopher Guest mockumentary uh, <laughs> that kind of morphed into uh, a Curb Your Enthusiasm type of a vibe when Curb Your Enthusiasm came out. And went and worked with my friend in Toronto and created this show called But I'm Chris Jericho. And uh, we tried to sell it, pitch it around town. No one really bought it. No one, you know, no one was into it. And about a year and a half ago, he called me up and he's like, dude, I sold the show. And I was like, what show? And he said, <laughs> and he's like, but I'm Chris Jericho. And I said, you were still working on that? I said, yes. <laughs> so we sold the show and, and, and made 10 uh, six or seven minute web webisodes for this web series, But I'm Chris Jericho, which just premiered last week on But I'm Chris Jericho.com on YouTube. <laughs> See, there's the Gene Simmons segue. But it, <laughs> yeah, there you, go. you called it. You I said did. It. You I said did. It. I told you. I warned you. But it fit into what you were saying. And it was just interesting for me. 
to like go from the top of the mountain in this world to starting completely from scratch. But what it did was it also helped me uh, freshen my mind and broaden my horizons. You know, it made me a better performer to study acting, to work with the groundlings, to, to be a groundling for two years and the improv side of it, and to learn how to commit more to a character and drop into these things. So when I, uh, I decided in 2007 to come back and I created this whole new character that was completely different from the one that I played before that was based on Anton Chigurh from No Country for Old Men, mm-hmm. Javier Bardem's character. Because yeah. I was watching him and he was so like calm and cool, but I'm going to kill you because that's just the way it is. There's nothing I can do. And I thought like everyone at the time in wrestling was very much like, it wasn't as bad as Hulk Hogan. Let me tell you something, brother. And I was like, <laughs> what if you did it the opposite and just talked really quiet and really straightforward where people in the crowd would be like, I can't hear you. I can't hear you. But I was like, then shut the fuck up and listen, you know? <laughs> and then they would have to listen and pay attention to what I was saying. And I changed it. I started wearing a suit to the ring, started using big words. Before I was playing like this kind of a rock star, Y2J, happy, joking, ah, bright clothes, long hair. I cut my hair and just completely shifted who I was and became like the most hated heel in the WWE where people thought it was real. They thought I really was like this big asshole because I learned from acting class and from all the stuff I did to drop into it and commit. And when I did that, people believed. So that helped me keep things fresh as well. Oh, that's really fun. Yeah. That's really fun to be able to, I mean, <clears throat> to a degree, you can sort of do that with stand-up. You can kind of change your perspective if you, I think if you want to. Mm-hmm. But I'm never good at that because eventually I just go, ah, fuck it, it's me, you know it's me. Here, I'll just talk the way yeah, I know. Yeah, here's my bits, yeah. Yeah, that's, I think that's why I chose stand-up instead of you know, when early on with comedy, I was like, "Oh, do I want to do improv or sketch?" And then I always realized, like, I just like the ability to to break the fourth wall and to make mm-hmm. turns whenever I feel like it, and not right. have to commit to something sure. other than just who You'd I am. You'd be yourself, and you've made a great career of being yourself. I mean, you play yourself on Talking Dead, you play yourself on At Midnight, you play yourself when you're. I comedian. do. I really do. Someone someone asked me if I um, I was doing an interview, and they asked me. Uh, uh, you know what is it about hosting? And I'm like, well, it's the same thing as stand-up. You, it, it, I just get to be myself. Yes, I don't have to say someone else's words, and I don't have to. You know, you're. Some people love sketch because it's. They feel like it's a little bit of a protection, like they're mm-hmm. in a scene, they're playing some other character, right? But I sort of feel like it's a. Tr- it's a prison where you're like you're stuck <laughs> in it, and if it's not working, you got to. There's just, no way out. There's nothing you can yes. do. How much when you guys uh, when you're in the ring or when you're you know when you're shooting stuff you know backstage. Mm-hmm. It, it, how much is sort of a, do you, do you kind of have general ideas like, well, I'll probably say something approximately like this? Well, I mean, it's kind of similar to what you were saying. I mean, it's funny because with, with um, since But I'm Chris Jericho came out, people were like, oh, so uh, how do you like acting? And it's like, I've been, I've been acting since I was 19 years old. You're playing a character. Sure. You're playing a part. You have to. Because uh, anytime you're in front of an audience, even if you're hosting, I've hosted a few shows myself, and it's like you still have to be the party host. You have to be the larger than life. I'm the host of the show, and we're going to make sure you have a good time and be right back. And you got to put on... Uh, put on a, a, a little bit of a character, put on a show, and you got to make that connection with the audience. And as a, it, with, whether it's stand-up, hosting, wrestling, if I'm on stage singing with Fozzie, you have to connect with the crowd. And if you can do that, people will always be interested in what you have to say. And in wrestling, connect with them as, as, if they hate me, connect with them if they love me. It doesn't matter. They're still going to be interested in what I'm doing because the cardinal sin is just to have apathy for, for any of that stuff. Sure. So, you know, for me, especially in the early days, it was a lot of improv. You would just go out there and, and just like improv comedy, just kind of bat back and forth. I give you something, you give me something. And um, when I first started with the Groundlings, they were like, you know, you're so good at improv. Did you have training? And it's like, not really. But, you know, back 10 years ago when I used to work with The Rock or Steve Austin, after the match was over and the TV cameras went off, we would just stay in the ring and do improv with each other. Uh, just to give the fans something extra. You know, Rock would be the good guy and I'd be the bad guy. And we'd just talk about whatever and, you know, discuss certain things. I remember we were in Malaysia one time and he would just, he was insulting me. And of course I would give him little setups. He would keep insulting me, insulting me, insulting me. And um, actually, we were, actually we were in Tokyo. And he used to do this thing where he, was, he would say, you know, the Rock likes, the Rock likes pie, you know. And these Japanese people, they don't speak English, but they know the shtick, right? Right. The Rock, who likes pie? And I'd be like, I hate pie. What? 
I hate pie. I hate the way it looks. I hate the way it tastes. I hate the way that smells. I would never eat pie. Well, what do you like, Chris Jericho? I like strudel. And, of course, that was Rock's analogy for a cock, right? I lick the strudel. I love the strudel. I put as much strudel in my mouth as I can, as much as I can. Of course, people are laughing, and Rock's looking at me. And then, and then he's like, uh, I, say, I say to him, call me an Okama. He's like, what? I said, holding the mic, call me Okama. Why? Just do it. All right, Chris Jericho, are you Okama? Which means gay in Japanese. Uh-huh. And when he used the Japanese term for gay, the freaking crowd was just like... Ah, Rocky, Rocky, Rocky. And I had a great name in Japan, but the next day of the cover of Tokyo Sports, Rock calls Jericho Okama. It's like my, my, my badass reputation went down the tubes. Like, but see, all that was improv because you're just you're having some fun afterwards and, and just playing these little parts. So, um, you know, we've always kind of had that element. You have to have that element uh, in wrestling. Like when I started wrestling, I was a smaller guy. 5'11", 200 pounds of that. And it was in the era of the Giants. Yeah. You know? So how can I make a name for myself? You know, everyone would say, you're too small. I was like, yeah, I'm small, but I can have the biggest character. I can have the biggest personality. I can have a giant charisma. And that's how I started working on my career. So I, And that's what I, the reason why I was able to make it up to the next level and all these different things that I do because I was always considering myself an entertainer. Not a wrestler. Right. I was a little. I was more than that in my mind because I understood what it was like to play that character and play that part and make people believe in what I was doing. Well, I think it's really important to in any kind of whatever you're going into, whatever the field is. I think you know there are two questions that someone should ask themselves. Number one, you know, what do I like? What do I think I'm good at? What do I want to do? What's important to me? Well, that was like five questions. <laughs> I mean, the, the meta question. How do I count questions? The meta question. How do I count questions? <laughs> Is this still one question? Yeah. Where do I put the question mark? Yeah. <laughs> Is there commas involved? Yeah, I'm not sure. Um, so you ask yourself all that. And then, uh, and then once you kind of know, like, you know, where you, you know, like where you fall in terms of, of what, what you're into, then looking at the landscape, what else is out there and going, you know, how, how can I use what I have to mm. be unique right. in that field? So, you know, it, it would have been a much different story if everyone was 5'11", 200 pounds. Yes. You know, but you're, you're able to look at that and go, okay, there's all these giants. I'm a smaller guy. What can I do to fit in there and be something that's not there that's right, right now? What can I do that's different? You know, and I think someone told me a long time ago, if you want to make it, you've got to do something different. And that's why, you know, when I was a kid, I had two goals. I wanted to be in a rock band and I wanted to be a wrestler. And I never saw any reason why I couldn't. But you, you might, I might as well have told people I wanted to be a sword swallower when I said I wanted to be a wrestler. Like, hey, listen to this Okama yeah, over here. Yeah. <laughs> Call back. What? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I just never really saw the reason why. You're too small. I disagree. Uh, you'll never make it in music. There's too many bands. I disagree. So I kind of focused my life on both those things. Now, as a result, when I started getting to a certain level, um, then, of course, now there's more acting opportunities, which fits under the wrestling umbrella because that's acting. And then, you know, I can I get asked to write some books. So that's also being creative. And I, I like to write, just talking about my experiences or do radio shows. Or I never, you know, we, the last time I was on your show was for Robot Combat League. Yeah. I never grew up saying, I want to host a giant fighting robot show someday. <laughs> but it comes up and it's, like you said, it's, it's not too far off from what I do anyways, which is just... Working in front of a camera and getting the crowd involved. Yeah, the important thing is just to do to do what's fun. I, I, I always yeah. I always look at Will Ferrell's career and 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 I believe that everything that guy does, he just does because sure. it's fun. Oh, you know, I want to do this movie in Spanish. Fine, fucking do it. Oh, I want to you know be yeah. a part of this website and do these web. No, I don't give a shit. I want to do these weird beer commercials. Like he just he just seems to look at stuff and go, that looks like fun. Yes, and and I think that's the best. That's the best place you can be at right. with, your, with your, but you do have to, you know, you do have to kind of engineer that a little bit, and you do have to make those choices. Um, mm-hmm. By the way, good call on Slash and dinosaurs because he came on the podcast. Did he? And we talked for twenty five minutes about dinosaurs. He was fucking awesome. Did you tell him that? I, that yes, I it? yes, <laughs> yes. I wasn't kidding, man. He, he was great. Yeah, he is a dinosaur expert. He was great. You know, it's funny because uh, I've been pitching this show about lake monsters. For about the last year. And not just the Loch Ness Monster, which everyone knows, or the Ogopogo, which everyone knows in, in Canada. But if you go online right now and Google 
lake monsters, you will find one in every country. In the States, there's like 50 of them. And of course, we know lake monsters aren't real. Well, maybe they are. But I want to do a show kind of based on the people that claim to have seen them. Okay. Now, that's the show for me. Sure. You know, it's not... I don't want to go on the lake and have a sonar and be like, okay, we heard something. Like, it's not finding Bigfoot. <laughs> it's, I want to go meet that old man who stood on the banks of the lake when he was eight years old and saw his dog get eaten by a lake monster or whatever. So I was, I was telling Slash about it, and, and it's like, you know, and then he starts telling me how lake monsters could possibly be plesiosaurs, which, you know, and I was like, and I know that because I'm a Loch Ness Monster fanatic. So once again, a 20-minute conversation on, on the, uh, of whether it's possible that plesiosaurs could live in the banks of the Mississippi River and if it's possible to feed them. And it's like, this is probably the nerdiest conversation <laughs> that two pretty cool dudes have ever had ever. <laughs> you know, this is not going to happen. It's oh, like, wait, here comes people, here comes people. Pussy! Because yeah, I snorted some cocaine off her ass. Okay, okay so anyway, yeah, the flippers, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, we, I mean, it's, it's, it's plausible. <laughs> they can bury themselves in the silt and then silt there. We toured um, in, in Australia with Fozzie in February, and we did a bunch of shows with Loaded, who's uh, Duff McKagan's new band mm-hmm. from Guns N' Roses. And Duff is like Slash. He's totally clean now, changed his whole life around. And he was really hungry. And he eats kind of the same diet that I do, which is like caveman diet. Yep. And I had a thing of almonds. So I was like, Duff, you, you want some almonds? He's like, oh, sure, dude, please. I'm so hungry. Let me some almonds. So he gave him some almonds. Later on, he came over a couple minutes later. Can I have some more of those almonds? I'm like, yeah, sure. I'm like, look at us. Ten years ago, we would have been sharing pills and needles. And now we're sharing almonds and jonesing over them as well. These aren't salted, are they? I mean, these yeah. are just the roasted yeah, yeah, ones? Yeah, yeah, Because I don't yeah. know that salt. Man. Yeah, yeah, the salt's bad. Yeah, Sodium's really bad for you. a bad trip, Sodium, dude. Sodium, yeah. <laughs> Before, when you're younger, you don't give a fuck what you put in your yeah, exactly. body. Exactly. Like, you like, I'll have a, ye- a yellow one and a red one and a blue yeah. one and I'll wash it down with straight vodka. Yeah, ne- ne- never in my young life did I ever like look at the ingredients or, <laughs> yeah. the, or any the, of the... The fat grams. Yeah, I mean, you might have because you're... You have a physical yeah, job, yeah, but yeah. but me, I didn't at all. And now and now I'm like, oh, it's 170 calories. That's it, not bad. Fat, I mean, fat, and trans fat, and normal fat, and <laughs> fat calories from sugar, and yeah, it's, it's low carbish. All right, that's good. You know, let me ask you a question. Sure. Here, here, here's the thing. Sure. Okay, so now uh, a couple years ago, I went to dinner with my friend and his wife, and we had to find a restaurant that was gluten free. Yep. Okay, I'd never heard of it at the time. It was mm-hmm. only two years ago. Now. It's the big thing, gluten-free. This kid can't do it because he's gluten-free. This girl, like my wife's friend, you know, 35, 40 years old, can't eat gluten. Yeah. Why now, after all these years, is suddenly this gluten uh, uh, afflicted us when well, it was never mentioned before? I think, um, I think there's a couple things. Number one, I think food is processed a lot more now mm. than it was. And I think um, it's one of those things... Well, some people, I, I think some people who are just obsessed with fad dieting think gluten-free is like some type of a, right. so for some people it's not, it's not really an issue, but uh, my, my manager is allergic to gluten, my, gluten, my ex-girlfriend uh, was allergic to gluten, and the, the way that she found out was a lot of people um, were sick a lot when they were younger, mm-hmm. and they didn't know why, mm-hmm. and discovered that it was this you know, this gluten yeah. and, and wheat, um, and went off it, and it completely changed their lives. It was like with my ex girlfriend, she would always kind of feel, you know, like if we ate pizza or whatever, she would just, afterwards she'd be like, oh, I don't feel good. My mm. stomach, you know, like my stomach hurts, and it got, she would like, it would distend. And mm. and then, um, and then an alien popped out of her, and then an alien popped out okay. of her, and that's why and, she's your ex. Yeah, and then, and then tap danced on the across the thing, <laughs> like in Spaceballs. Um, but alien uh, to Spaceballs in two seconds. <laughs> that's right. Nice that's work, hard work. That's yeah. where I go. And so, um, but what but what she discovered was that when you cut gluten completely out of your diet, like some people can tolerate it, even mm-hmm. though it makes them a little sick. But then when she cut it out for a few months, we went out one night and she accidentally ate a tortilla without thinking. Mm-hmm. She was like, oh, I guess I'll probably be okay. Two hours later, it was like the worst food poisoning wow. you could ever. So it's not, I mean, it was, it was definitely it was not right? psychosomatic and it was not, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I don't feel good. Like it really fucked her up mm-hmm. bad. Mm-hmm. So... It's, you know, um, I'm sure gluten-free websites would give you much better information than that. But I think it was a thing. It was so, I, I, think it's, I think it was just a thing that was undiagnosed for a long time. People didn't really and now know. now they know. Yeah, because like, like my buddy Will Wheaton's little sister, Amy. Ah, uh, the irony. The irony, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Will's little sister, Amy, was always sick when she was growing up. Uh-huh. And they always, you know, we, we always used to kind of make fun of her. Oh, what's wrong? You know, got to cut you sick again? You know, yeah, yeah. just thinking that she was a hypochondriac. 
But in fact, she was allergic to gluten and they just didn't you like, never they knew. just didn't know what it was until they they kind of identified it and people got off uh, gluten, anything with gluten in it, and then it like within a couple days felt transformed mm-hmm, like their mm-hmm. lives were yeah, different infinitely better because that was out of their system well, you know it's interesting because i was i was asking my, i was, uh, had a conversation with my aunt about this and she's like 80 you know and she's wise a very wise old uh, older lady and she said you know back when she was a kid like all the way up until the end of world war ii that it was the old school you know beaver cleaver mom would make dinner every night fresh vegetables grown in the garden you know meat from the supermarket freshly cut yeah you know you'd have everything was fresh and everything was cooked every night and she said after the war because the society started moving quicker that's when they started with the preservatives and tv dinners tv dinners and and moving the fast food and it was like this style of eating has only been going for the last 50, 60, 70 years, right? So maybe after all this time, you know, the human body is finally starting to revolt against that, rebel <laughs> against it, which is funny because I told you about the diet that I started doing, which is the caveman diet. Right, the paleo diet? Paleo diet. Yeah. I, saw, um, I saw James Hetfield from Metallica yep. at the Metallica 30th anniversary, and he, like, I thought he was a James Hetfield lookalike. I'm like, fuck that guy. He's what a wannabe. And then he came over, and I was like, James, like, what the fuck did you do? And he told me he lost tons of weight, like, in three months from the caveman diet. What's the caveman diet? Well, it's all meat, uh, fish, chicken, vegetables, fresh vegetables, uh, fruit, but only, like, berries, mm-hmm. no citrus things, uh, uh, nuts, but almonds um, and walnuts, not peanuts or cashews because those are legumes with a lot of fat, etc. Basically anything that a caveman could forage, eggs, you know, uh, and that's, so I said, well, I'll give it a try. Like, if it's good enough for James, yeah. it's good enough for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, man, ooh. <laughs> and then, uh, and the funny thing was, he's like, you know, well, uh, uh, and somebody I was talking to and James there goes, well, yeah, James, you're on the caveman diet, but cavemen all died before they were 30. And James said, yeah, because the dinosaurs ate them. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's what happened. That's what happened. That's when man went extinct. They did. And when they the were, dinosaurs and the Boy, were they in good shape. They were in such great they shape. They were. So they I, were delicious to the dinosaurs. <laughs> so I, uh, I stopped. I started the caveman diet. And within, like you said, within a month, it was like 15 pounds gone. And it wasn't that hard to drop that stuff. Like I don't eat processed foods. I don't eat bread. I mean, once in a while, I'm not like, super strict. But it's amazing how much... I don't know. Maybe a little bit's in my mind because it's been a while, but I feel like a lot cleaner. I feel a lot more limber. I just feel a lot better. Well, a lot you know? of people who do sort of what what, what they were calling um, the the slow carb diet, which was um, which was you know very similar to what you're to, right. At least from what I could tell, was very similar to what to what you're saying. Would all say like I feel a lot better. I think I think there is something to not eating a lot of processed wheat and flour mm-hmm. and, and that. Um, I don't know. The people that I know that do it, they really do say, like, I, I, I can't tell yeah. you how much better I feel. It makes you know, it makes a difference. I, I remember... So where do you get your carbs, though? Well, where you get your carbs from is there's natural sugars in the berries and stuff like that. And also, too, in the morning, because I went and actually researched it a bit, the actual technical paleo diet, they suggest that you eat eggs with, like, bacon in the morning because uh, the bacon fat is equals your carbs. Sure. That's, that's kind of... You can load Egg up whites or that. eggs? Eggs, yeah, but the bacon or the sausage, like yeah. that type of meat that's yeah. you know greasier with the fat on it. So I, that's kind of the, the cornerstone of my day. If I can have a really good breakfast, I'm pretty cool with the rest so of the no day. So no bread. Do you eat? Can you eat cottage cheese, or is that off the? Yeah, you, I mean, it's like I said. Like I don't stick to it. Like I'm not like 300 pounds trying to lose. I gotta lose 150 pounds. I'm gonna die. But the, there's no cheese. The official Fuck. line is no cheese. Yeah, but I mean, dude. I mean, come on. We're human beings. You have to live sometimes. But right. for the majority of the day. I don't eat any carbs at all. And then at night, if you know, I want to have some pizza with my kids, I'll have it or a cookie or something like that. But it's amazing how when you wean yourself off of that, how you don't miss it. And here's another thing. Uh, stopped eating fast food. Yeah. A couple months ago, we were on tour with Fozzie. We were in Paris. I had some time before the show. Walked around. was hungry. Couldn't really find anything that looked good. I was running out of time. Walked past McDonald's and saw a big post on the wall for a, a Royale with cheese. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, you know, Pulp Fiction. I've never had a Royale with cheese. <laughs> I always think of John Travolta, Royale with cheese. And now you get to have one. And I'm going to have one. So I go in there and order it on computer, by the way. That's how they do their orders in, in, in France, McDonald's. And I ate that damn Royale with cheese. And it was like you said with your ex-girlfriend. I had the worst brick of like just this horrible feeling in my stomach for two days afterwards from eating that thing. 
And I was like, how the hell did I used to eat this oh, all yeah, the time? Royale with cheese. Royale with cheese got me. me. Yes, you hurt me. Why are you Because your body adjusts. Your adjusts body adjusts. To it. Yeah, and the poisons that were in it or whatever, not to get too crazy. How did I used to drink 15 to 20 beers a day? Yeah, exactly, you know, man. Your body fucking adjusts, and then, uh, I mean, eventually it will kill you. But, yeah. uh, or but, just make you fat. Or, you know? yes, which it, which it did. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, it really, you know, my the problem that I was having with those kinds of diets is that I was on such a, a carb deficiency that I would get the sort of, like, flu-like symptoms yeah, that you get. Where you're yeah, yeah. Like, I don't feel good. I can't yes, think straight. So that's, so I, I, I just, I would do it. If I, if I found the cure for that, like what, what do I need to eat to right. make that go away? Well, sometimes you got to have that. You know, you got to carb up once in a while, and that's when I just have some, some bread or some pizza or whatever. But the, another, one, another big thing was the beer. Like, I lost 30 pounds in the last three years because at my son's seventh birthday party, I drank beer all day, ate chicken nuggets, bah, stood on the scale, it was 2.30. And I didn't think I was that big, but I thought I'm kind of on the, on the precipice. Stopped drinking beer, started working on these you know, diets and, and yoga and stuff. When I look at a picture of myself three years ago, I was a fat fuck. Like, <laughs> wow, was I fat. But I still like to, to, to drink. You got to have that. So I switched it to straight vodka and ice. That's all I ever drink. And I never get hungover. Ever. Really? Ever, ever, ever. Because I think it's the sugar and the preservatives in, in liquor black or dark, uh, dark liquor or you know I'm gonna have a rum and coke or vodka and orange juice excuse me vodka and club soda it's the sugars in that that gets you hung over just the actual vodka it has to be high class top shelf sure can't be smeared off for that because it tastes like paint uh, Jericho would drink Jericho, nothing Jericho, less of course, nothing less no bottom shelf <laughs> yes not for me but if you just drink top shelf vodka and ice even though it's first it's strong as hell and you'll feel like an alcoholic which it's probably an alcoholic drink but you'll never get hung over that's, well, that's the positive thing. that's Listen, the positive it's okay to be that way yeah. just as long as you don't have to feel it yeah, exactly. I mean, that's the important that's right. thing that's right I don't know I, I don't uh, I, I think you know if I hadn't quit drinking I would have had to have switched off something other than all the beer because it just <laughs> your body just can't I mean you know once you get into your 30s like your body does not want to process that much fucking beer and it's hard too like you know it's like eating 15 sandwiches a day they used to say every beer <laughs> equals a sandwich yeah, right it's like if I yeah. 15 to 20 sandwiches <laughs> I, would be like hung Dagwood. Over, I would be hung over the next day if I had, if I ate 20 sandwiches <laughs> yeah. in a day be like Dagwood with the giant sandwich oh with the big giant yeah. sandwich times 20 <laughs> and, and that's the thing like you said I mean it's also hard to give up drinking beer because it's a social drink you and I go to the ball game, the ball game, like I'd ever go to a ball game. Right. You and I go to the ball game. Look at all you know, the games. <laughs> and the, ga- the games, man. Look at all games. the games on those games. So, you know, you have a beer, you go to a pool party, you have a, a drink with a little uh, umbrella in it, a little strawberry daiquiri or something. You can't really have social straight vodka drinking. If you're drinking straight vodka, you're drinking to get fucked up. Right. You know, you can't go to, you know, for dinner and have a straight vodka with some nachos. <laughs> really doesn't work. <laughs> on a hot summer day. Yes. You, uh, can't, you can't fill your fucking... <laughs> Uh, thermos up with vodka and then just just down it at the beach. <laughs> this fucking sounds terrible. That's what I always loved about Paul Stanley's rap on Kiss Alive right before Cold Gene. He's like, I know it's hot outside. You always need something to cool you off. Who out there ladies a shot of tequila? <laughs> like, oh, I'm so hot outside. Oh, Ugh. give me a shot of tequila. Woo! That's fat. That's refreshing. <laughs> you, you wouldn't... <laughs> You wouldn't be refreshed by tequila if you froze it and dumped it on your face. Never. Like there's nothing it burns you the moment you touch the it. The second ever. If it touches it, it just it hits your skin and all of a sudden you just get drunk for no reason. Cool you off. Oh, tequila was always the worst. For, I remember, oh yeah. man, because you you I remember from what I do remember of it. It's at least with beer is like a nice slow glide, mm-hmm. you know, and then uh, like, oh, I still feel OK. I feel like I'm but, kind of. A, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Both tequila. You're like, I don't feel anything. I don't feel anything. Let's fucking knock over that dumpster. <laughs> like you, you all of a sudden you're just fucking. It's bad. Yeah. And the thing is, too, is like there's another I, I, I wrestled a lot in Mexico where tequila is one thing. But then they have this other thing called mezcal, which is dark tequila. And that shit makes tequila look like fucking orange juice. It will fuck you up. And it tastes like an ashtray. Forged from the rivers of Mount Doom. (laughs) Exactly. Tastes like an ashtray, man. I remember one time I was with this guy called Haku. He's world-renowned as as being the toughest, legit toughest wrestler. But he only spoke in five syllables. (laughs) Fuck fuck off, kid. But uh, he he was a really... like Samoans, Samoans in wrestling are always great. And they're always big drinkers. They can fucking drink up a storm. And 
in Mexico, he was uh, it was '93. I was just starting, and he was like he used to be in the WWE. So he was like, the first guy that I met that was a WWE superstar, and he'd now left and gone to Mexico to work there. So I was kind of in awe of him. You know, I was like, oh, it's Haku. I love Haku. I love Haku. And uh, I would kind of do whatever he said. So one night we went drinking the mezcal, really bad. He, we were lighting it on fire, and and drinks that you light on fire. <laughs> Never a good idea. It was called the cucaracha. It's uh, it's foreshadowing. And yeah, exactly. This is what's going to happen to your body and your <laughs> yes. brain. This is what you're going to be shitting out of your asshole. <laughs> so drank the fiery cucarachas, which is cockroach in English for Jericho's Spanish lesson of the day, and uh, passed out at 6 a.m. But he was on this aerobics kick. He wanted us to go. And this is a 300 pound, six foot five wild wild Tongan, not right. Samoan Tongan. Uh, at seven in the morning, after passing out at, at around six. Come on, brother, we'll go for the aerobics. No, no. Come on, brother, we'll go for the aerobics. And I get up, and like the head is the, the giant, and it's pounding, and it's mezcal, and there's puke everywhere. And I'm like, you know, I can't, like, he's going to knock down my door if I don't go, and go with him. So we go into the aerobics room and start doing the aerobics. And you know you're sweating out, like, pure alcohol. You oh, could yeah. have held a cup. Yeah. under my head and drank it and got and it's drunk just, again. It's probably, at this point, it's probably just brown sweat from the dark liquor. Yeah, brown dark liquor. And it was so bad. Yeah, leaving streaks across my face, like running Alice Cooper makeup. By the way, people, people who are sweating out alcohol do not have the ability to smell themselves. Because I've been, <laughs> I've been on a couple of planes. Like, I've been on planes like, back from Vegas where the, the guy in one seat over, it just when he would turn to breathe... It's just like he doesn't know. He doesn't know how bad it is. Like your body is – you're an exhaust pipe right now just trying to get all this shit out of your body. So you did you, did you, you didn't pass I that. You did pass the aerobics, that. but the thing was he stopped after about five minutes. But he wouldn't let me stop. And because there was like a certain respect level in, in wrestling, I was like – I had to do it. Like that's how it was back then. You respected the guys that came ahead of you. And nowadays, they'd be like, fuck you, Tonga. There's no way. But then it was like, I had to keep going. And then that motherfucker had me going for 60 minutes doing the aerobics. And it was bad. Like you said, not only was the, 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 <laughs> the, the alcohol coming out of the system, there was some uh, gas involved mm-hmm. that was happening. Sure. And he was laughing so hard. But I eventually passed out from, from it. And he had to carry me out, similar to Dexter carrying his sister <laughs> out of the hospital, out of the front door of the gym. And yes. then he put you in your bed and drove into a hurricane. <laughs> yes. And that was the last we ever saw and, of him. Now he's a lumberjack in cut Portland. To, cut to Portland. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Who is that crazy Samoan Tongan guy, and why does he have such a crazy beard? Why does he have such a crazy fake beard <laughs> yeah. up there? But that's, and that's how it was back then. I mean, it was the respect level. You get into the job, and uh, a lot of us trained in Japan back in those days, and Japan was very strict on the Kohai Senpai. Kohai was the teacher. Senpai was the, uh, sorry, the other way around. Senpai was the teacher. Mm-hmm. Kohai was like the disciple. So whoever you came into the job with, like Tonga trained there as a, as a Samoan wrestler, or sorry, as a sumo wrestler, then transformed into wrestling. So he was very much into that Japanese mindset. So he was my, he was my senpai. And I, you, had to, you didn't have to, but if you had any respect and had any desire to really make it and get respect from your peers, you had to follow along with what they wanted you to do. And that was, uh, so there was a lot of that type of stuff. Oh, you know? man, that sounds like a fun, you know. Wh- well, fun until you heard, like, the real Japanese guys. I remember one time I heard at the uh, dojo, they had all the young boys stand around in a circle, jack off into a cup, and then the, the youngest young boy had to drink it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, what's the weird part? Uh, I, didn't, I, I didn't like the taste of it. <laughs> Spike the ball. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, interesting stuff, though, man. I mean, times have changed now, but back when I started, it was kind of like that, very, very much into the respect of your elders. You must respect them. No, we don't respect our elders. Yeah, not anymore. They're just, uh, they're just gabby old uh, laundry bags. Just won't but shut that, up about but stuff. That, and that's how it was kind of in Japan. Though. Like it's a, it's a strange society. I mean, very loyal, uh, very honorable, yet they have magazines at the train shop of girls in, wearing schoolgirl uniforms pissing on a beach. Right. So they're very warped and perverted as well. But the one thing that's cool is they treat their old generation like, you know, 
our ancestors used to treat them with respect and, and ask their advice and have counsel with them like 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 Indians, like American Indians do. Whereas here, they're just old laundry bags that won't shut up. And yeah, exactly. Smell, probably put them in a home. Smell like yeah, smell like yeah, lavender. We really should. We should probably work on that a little bit, America. You know, I think so. If you've learned nothing else from this people, podcast, people got stories to tell. They do. They you do. You can learn from. You can learn from. Absolutely, them. Learn man. From Absolutely. Yeah, I felt that the other day. I went to Bob Evans for breakfast, mm-hmm. and I went in. There was a, a, an old guy sitting next to me with a, a, a hat on that said um, whatever it said, like D Day veteran or something like that. Like some like this guy's from World War Two, and I was like, wow, the stories he must have to tell. You know, I'm Stop. by myself, and he's by himself. I'm going to go ask him some stories you know so I go over and I say excuse me sir I see uh, you have a, a D-Day veteran hat uh, were you at D-Day he said yes and I'm reading my paper leave me alone <laughs> <laughs> what you learned is don't talk to old people <laughs> see you got a lot of wisdom out of that <laughs> they'll bite you <laughs> they will attack and I haven't had a chance to tell that story to anybody that would care until I came to your podcast I'm so glad you did <laughs> well that was about our this was about that was exactly an hour wow dude clock watching well I'm glad you I'm a uh, thank you for making Talking Dead uh, a great episode of television uh, last week that you, you you bailed us out. I didn't think two awkward episodes in a row. People have been like, uh, "All right, we're fuck done you. with this show." It's already weird that you're talking about another show and then you get paid for that. We'll let it we're slide, done. but not two weird episodes in a row. Yes, yes. So, uh, so okay. I, I appreciate that, and and uh, and thanks for doing the podcast. And you come anytime you're in town. Come no, thanks, man. Thanks, man. Yeah, and uh, one more time. So last time I got in trouble for not plugging what I was supposed to plug. I think plug we, what you're supposed to plug. Uh, but I'm Chris Jericho. It's it's the dot com. com. Dot com. The web series that is the funniest thing you've ever seen, or my name isn't Chris Hardwick. Your name is not Chris Hardwick. Oh, shit. I screwed that up again. Damn it. Fuck. I don't know. Okay, we'll just edit that to make it (laughs) seem... There we go. And then you're uh, I Am Jericho on the Twitter. I Am Jericho on the Twitter. Yes, man. Absolutely. And you're the Nerdist. I am. Nerdist at the Twitter. Did you ever have any brand recognition problems at at the start when you first called yourself that? Well, it wasn't really. I mean, I, I, I was, I was basically trying to. You know, I started the website, mm-hmm. so it was really just a way to make everything promote that website about, about the website. So it just made sense. Like, oh, I'll just make it all. I think it actually cut down confusion because it wasn't me. Because I, I have at Hardwick, I just never use it. Right. It was not me going. Oh, but this is my website. It was just like oh, I'll just make everything the same name and the podcast and everything, so people know that it's all part of the same thing. And it didn't. You know, it, it didn't. It always takes a little bit of time for people to go, what? what? Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, but, you know, they guy. will. If you stick with it, they will of get course. it eventually. If you build it, they will come. Yeah, yeah Those eventually. stupid sheep. <laughs> Wait, shh, no, they're still recording. I thought we were off the air. No. What? Don't tell the sheep. I feel, like Hulk, Hulk, I feel like Hulk Hogan with Elizabeth Quick, all over again. Quick, babe. Uh, Baram you. <laughs> Enjoy your burrito. Sweet. Awesome. Cool, man. That was a blast. Thank you so much. Oh, it's so good to see you, man. And it's good to see you, man. Anytime. It's always fun uh, having conversations. We never know where we're going. Now leaving Nerdist.com. Enjoy your burrito. This episode of the Nerdist Podcast is brought to you by Stamps.com. Go to Stamps.com, click on the radio microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in Nerdist for a $110 bonus offer, including a digital scale and $55 of free postage. That's Stamps.com. Enter the promo code NERDIST. It's all a lighthearted nightmare on our podcast, Morbid. We're your hosts. I'm Alina Urquhart. And I'm Ash Kelly. And our show is part true crime, part spooky, and part comedy. The stories we cover are well-researched. He claimed and confessed to officially killing up to 28 people. With a touch of humor. I'd just like to go ahead and say that if there's no band called Malevolent Deity, that is pretty great. A dash of sarcasm and just garnished a bit with a little bit of cursing. This motherfucker lied like a liar like a liar and if you're a weirdo like us and love to cozy up to a creepy tale of the paranormal or you love to hop in the Wayback machine and dissect the details of some of history's most notorious crimes you should tune in to our podcast morbid follow morbid on the wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts you can listen to episodes early and ad free by joining wondery plus in the wondery app or on apple podcasts